2: Breathe in, breathe out. Get dressed, head out. Grab some friends, camp out. Get hiked up, vibe out. Take it in, let it all out. At REI Co-op, we're here for all the outs. And we want you to spend more time outside our doors and in them. Try it out, check out, think it out. REI Co-op, all out. Visit REI.com.
3: Well, ladies and gentlemen, listeners to the Herpanwo Show on Herpanwo Radio, I'm joined today by a very interesting lady, a future a speaker at the Dreaming Sources Conference and researcher. It is Deborah Hatswell. Hi, Deborah.
4: Hi, Ben.
3: How would you like to be addressed? Deborah, Debbie, Deb? What's, you, what's I your don't
4: first? mind. I, any is fine. People tend to call me Deborah. They call me lots of things, but <laughs> yeah. Deborah, Debbie, or Debbie's fine. Okay. Sorry,
3: but... No worries. It's uh, a... Um, It's great to talk to you because um, you cover a very interesting subject, and um, it's something we have covered before. And it's something I'm quite, I'm just new, I'm really quite new to it, but I find it very fascinating. And that is what is sometimes called the Brit Squatch, several names.
4: (coughs) The British Bigfoot. Um, A very big ask, I know, and most people will probably be clicking off about now. But so they would have done maybe 20 or 30 years ago if I was discussing UFO or an abduction. I hope my listeners are more open-minded
3: than that, quite frankly. I hope they're a lot more Mm, open-minded.
4: All subjects start somewhere, don't they? And every now and again, I am not a cryptozoologist and I'm not a boughtian. Unfortunately, I'm just a witness. Um, I saw something in 1982 that has stayed with me all those years and I did try to report on a number of occasions to a number of people and uh, my account does not fit the mould and it's a very big ask and I understand that. You first have to, have to accept that there is Bigfoot yeah. anywhere within the world and then you then have to cross the barrier that he is here in the UK. It's just Most people think it's just an American thing.
3: Yeah.
4: Um, but any of you listeners that know a little bit about Bigfoot will know that it's not. It's quite a worldwide thing. There are around, I counted, 55 names um, from different countries for a hairy, giant <coughs> figure that lives within the woods. Even Japan has an Inca and
3: is attack the
4: island. Cool. Yeah, yeah um, and there are so many names, I wouldn't be able to name them all, but hmm. they go from America through Canada, Alaska, the Russian states, the Baltic states, all across Europe and all across the UK. Um, and there are many theories behind it, and I'm sure we'll get to, into that at the minute. But for me, I understand that people say it's impossible. It is absolutely impossible, and it is. But I saw him, and I had nowhere to go with that. What there exactly, was.
3: What, what exactly did you see in 1982, <clears throat> uh,
4: Deborah? I was skipping school because it was mock exams. Um, and many of the Brits will understand it We did the mock exams first b- The year before we did our actual exams If you remember mm. um, And thinking I was a smart aleck I decided with my friend That I would not go in that day We would skip at dinner And go into the park And I lived in quite a urban area I lived in Salford Which is an impossible town For anybody to believe That like anything like this can happen
3: Yeah, this is in Greater Manchester
4: It is in Greater Manchester Yes, it is but what Salford has, and what a lot of people don't understand, is we also have the River Irwell and the Irwell Valley Nature Reserve that runs through the centre of Salford. And we have Clifton Nature Reserve and we have this little tiny pocket because we're on the Pennine Strait. So it's it's a very, in, in, take yourself back to Paleolithic days, Stone Age days. We are a very wide valet and Salford is on the very top of the height. It's a mile down to Salford Docks it's an urban town it's full of mills um and pits mining pits and there's a little park there that was built on the spoils of the manchester ship canal and it covered many tunnels and railway tunnels and mining tunnels and things like that and like i say it's about a mile high and there's an old mansion in there that was built in the 1600s um which has mine shafts underneath it and at the time it was i think at the time it was a mining museum um and it was only open in say the summer holidays or something like that and it was next to the kitchen garden uh, which was all overgrown and full of food and onions and lavender and really nice smelling things it was a sensory garden it was for the blind but it hadn't been tended in about 25 years at that point it was left to rack and ruin the Shrubbery was probably about 40 foot high. Anyone that's from Salford would be shocked to see the park because I actually went back this year and it was nothing like it was then. It was very, very different. And I'm incredibly lucky because I was with somebody that day and a lot of the witnesses don't have that. Yeah. And then I had validation because other people came forward, not to me, to other cryptozoologists from the same town in the same place. So I am very lucky as a witness... But I get back to the story, I digress. I am... It's okay. We sneak into what is kind of rhododendrons, laurel bushes, it's all intertwined with brambles and ivy, and it's right tucked in where the sensory garden is. And if you're in there, you can kind of see out, but you can't see in. Okay. And it's me and my friend, and we're 15, and we're rolling around on the grass like girls are, and we're pushing each other, and we're giggling, and we're making a right amount of racket. And it's summer, probably May, June night. It was a really nice day. <sighs> really normal day. And I noticed something move very quickly in the bushes. And I thought it was going to be a teacher. <laughs> so I was already instantly frightened <laughs> that a teacher was going to put his head out of the bus and say, caught you, back to school now. Uh, my parents were very strict. I was terrified at that point. So that's what I was expecting. Or a local lad to go, where, boo, you know, ah, got you kind of thing. Um, To my absolute horror, it was none of those things. It looked like a cross between a man and an ape. And it had a very caveman-like appearance is the only way I can put it. It had a very, the eyes and the mouth are the two things that I concentrated on. I didn't see any body. I only saw from mid-chest up. It was completely covered in hair, but the base wasn't. It had very thick jaw muscles, and what I would describe as your chewing muscles were very muscular. It had amberish-coloured eyes, not the same kind of eyes as It had much less white, but there was white there. And I pushed my friend to the floor so that he would get her first, and I was off, and I ran. And I ran about three and a half miles home. And I admitted to my parents the whole thing, knowing that I would probably never walk out of the house again. That's how strict they were. And their attitude at the time was, it was probably a homeless man. Don't be so ridiculous. And I was left with that. So I didn't know if I was a mentally ill. um, But my friend was with me and my friend saw it too.
3: Did she so, did she actually confirm that afterwards? Did you make did you meet up?
4: We were at school together. I presumably um, you had to
3: you had to make up after you pushed her to the ground.
4: I pushed her to the floor and I ran and that I would imagine if she's out there is still between us to this day. Mm-hmm. And we did know each other afterwards, but we kind of avoided each other as if each other blamed the other one for it happening. I wouldn't have been in the park that day if it hadn't been for her. And she wouldn't have been in that spot if I hadn't said, let's go in there. They won't find us in there. We kind of blamed each other. It was horrifying. It was absolutely horrifying. People think it was this wonderful spiritual experience. No, it was not. It was like coming face to face with a gorilla or a lion. But well,
3: even worse, scared. I think most people would be scared, and I mean, I wouldn't like to pass judgment on you for, mm. for what you but did. They I mean, exist, <coughs> who knows what you do when you panic? You do these sort of things. That's the problem. But it was
4: primal. I didn't think about it. Yeah, what, were it you, was 50, just... a
3: fifteen-year-old girl. I was
4: fifteen-year-old girl, and yeah. a monster leaned out of the bush, and he did nothing to scare me. He just looked at me, and I looked at him, and I was terrified. It was a primal fear. I just forced it to the ground in my head thinking, I hope he gets her before he gets me. And I just ran off screaming and I looked behind because in my head he was coming for me and he just went back into the greenery. Mm-hmm. He didn't do anything. He didn't do something to make me terrified, but it scared me for 25 years. Mm-hmm. I couldn't mm-hmm. go back to that park. I couldn't go back in there
3: well, the and I moved. True. It's, I mean, I, I imagine, I mean, uh, the fact that your f- your friend saw it too, and um, you mentioned there were other witnesses. Uh, hmm. Did, did, did yeah, other people well, see it?
4: Yeah, other people have seen him. There was um a lady that came <coughs> forward, and in at the side of the house that I described, there's an actual place where you have weddings and conferences and you have, can have meals and things like that. So there is constant supplies of food being put into the bins. And there was a lady that came forward, And she contacted Thomas Markham, who runs the Crypto Crew in America. So she didn't come to me. And she went to Thomas and she said, and it was some years later, it was only um, around 2012. So quite a few years later. And she said, I feel absolutely awful. I remember when I was younger... And we, I lived in Salford, there was a young girl, and she saw something in the park that she described as the ape man. And she was ridiculed, and everybody took the Michael out of her, we say, in Salford. And I feel awful, because I'm a lady in my 60s now, and at the time I was in my 30s. It was two years after Deborah saw him, And I will give you the two descriptions, because they are a little bit different, and I want to be as honest as I can be. Sure. And she said that she was walking the dog. It was not summer, it was autumn, so it would probably, around 3.30, it would be definitely dusk in the UK, in in this part of the UK. Um, She's walking the dog, she's on her own, and at first she thinks it's a man in the bushes. It's exactly the same place where I was, and he stood there and he's completely naked. And she said she could see his genitalia, he was completely covered in hair from head to foot, he had a pot belly. he was hunched over, and he looked like a cross between a man and an ape. And he grunted at her and stepped back into the greenery. She grabbed the dog, ran home, was absolutely terrified, told her husband, who was a boyfriend at the time, and he said, no, there's no way, you're not telling anybody about this. It's a working-class town in the <coughs> 80s. So her account is 1984. We would both have been put in Presswich. And anyone that's from Salford would agree with me at this time. But then another lady came forward... And she said that around 1995, 96, she was attending the banquet hall. And it was a queen, uh, the royal, let me get it right, the mayor's. The mayor has a meal every year, and they attend this meal. And halfway through the meal, her friend goes into anaphylactic shock. So they take the lady outside, and there's just this, the lady that's the witness, and this other lady, unfortunately, is having an anaphylactic shock. And she's lay on the bonnet of a car in the same place that i was and she said this big hairy gray thing that was really old and scraggy and looked like a monkey leaned out of the bushes and growled at us and then went back in and you think well this kind of a little bit of a pattern building here but then there's another witness who wasn't prepared to go on the map but i have spoken to her today because i said this is going to come up and and she said well do it, but don't name. Her. Um, and much. she was um, courting her boyfriend at the time; he was now a husband, and they were in a place called Lums Lane, which is not too far from Beulah Park, as people will know, much closer to the Irwell Valley Reservoir and the River Drinkwater Park. And they are um, being friendly together in a bush, and she said, "What well, at first I thought was a homeless man in a hairy coat." was watching us, and a uh, fella jumped up and set off chasing after this tall, hairy thing that ran off into the bushes and made its way up into Drinkwater Park. Yeah. So all these years later, I started putting my head above the parapet and I'm talking about it and I'm saying what's happened. And a lady contacts me and she said, my name's Jade, uh, Jade Lewis, and my husband, I bought him some golf clubs for his birthday, in June, and he's out on the Ellesmere golf course, which connects to Beulow Park, and he and three of his friends, see, a tall, hairy, monkey-looking human, completely naked, that claps at them.
3: He just claps its hands together like that.
4: Claps at them oh. like this. Oh. And because there's four of them, they set off walking towards it, at which point it growled and clapped its hands again and looked to the left as if to say, I am not on my own. And at that point, they went back. And all of these people have put that down on paper. And some of them are more than happy to be named. And they are named on the map.
3: Well, if that, so, if that number of people in one particular area are seeing the same thing, it can't be dismissed as your imagination. It can't, it can't have been a hallucination.
4: It's not. Like, we have to wipe that out. Yeah. We can't include all of the other theorists. But the actual hallucination theory, we have to rule that one out now.
3: Yeah. If it was so one person, it. <coughs> if it was one person who might have seen one in, in the lounge sitting in an armchair or something. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's, okay.
4: That's their but, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, or it, it's in a city. Yeah. I would imagine at the time there was marijuana and all kinds of things around. There are certain people who have said that there was magic mushrooms in the park at the time. I don't think the lady who was the secretary to the mayor would agree with that.
3: But even if there was Deborah, <laughs> even if there were, say, magic mushrooms and people exactly. were gathering them, yeah, exactly. they'd see, they would have strange experiences, but they'd see other things. They'd see pink elephants and they'd see aliens yeah. landing. And they'd see snakes crawling around their legs and they'd yes. see all kinds of strange things. You yes. wouldn't get, you wouldn't get um, half a dozen people or so hallucinating the same thing on their magic mushroom trips.
2: The
4: descriptions run the same. The only way that my account differed from Brenda's, and Brenda's account is out there. It's not just on the map. It's, if you go to the Crypto Crew website and you put in England or the UK, all of the Lancashire reports will come up because they were reported to Thomas Markham, and he found me on Facebook and said, "Deborah, there are people reporting the same thing as you." And I think you know, you—it was validation for me. I'd been a girl that sees monsters for years. People hmm. thought I was absolutely puddled. You know, it's not something you talk about at dinner parties. Oh, I saw a late man in the park. You know, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you know. <laughs> that'd so
3: be a bit is... of that'd be a bit of a conversation hmm. killer, wouldn't it? A bit of a party. Yeah. You wouldn't and, get invited it, back, would you?
4: And then we have to say, well, is it me? Am, am I? Am I making these things up? Am I just gone out and made up four hundred and sixty reports? And to answer that, I'd have to be a, the best writer in the world for starters i would also have to be the best where would i get all the backup information from what i try to do on the map is if i find it on a source i put the source the blog name the article the forum where i found it if it comes to me as from a witness i make sure i have the screenshot of the email because i can always <coughs> wipe out the name and show people the email the dates there That you know what i mean the The context is there. I make sure I don't do anything. There are scientists that don't make it onto that map because I don't believe them. I think, no, I'm sorry, I don't believe you. I think you're making it up. I don't stick stick everything I find on there. But if that witness is consistent enough to stick with it, some of them have been talking to me for 30 years. I've made great friends with them. Charmaine Fraser, for instance. When me and Charmaine found each other, it was the first time that... I think two people had actually said, I saw that, and yeah. she went, oh my God, Debbie, I saw that, and it was like talking to each other.
3: It's great. and That must have been quite something to actually encounter someone else, because Charmaine, if viewers want to go to Program 187, listen to the podcast, where I have an entire interview with Charmaine, uh, she was actually in Angus, Scotland. This was a couple of years before your sighting. She was also a young girl, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, this is in the late late 1970s. And she um, encountered this strange creature. She was just walking down a lane near this house where she was staying, and she saw this mm-hmm. strange creature, um, this really weird creature on the uh, on by a bush. And it was it was mm-hmm. the description she gives is very similar to the one you gave yeah. for, for the creature. Large a large humanoid looks like mm-hmm. a man, but it's covered in hair, rather like an ape.
0: and now a special motorcycle weather report from progressive well today you can expect lots of cloud cover with zero percent chance of raining on your parade because you'll be riding your motorcycle vroom vroom that rumbling low pressure system beneath you should give way to a relaxing commute and a sudden urge to take the scenic route everywhere you go because dang, Nabbit, you're having fun out there That's your forecast back to you this has been a special motorcycle weather report from progressive where every day is a beautiful day to ride with coverage from america's number one motorcycle insurer get a quote today and see what you could save progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates with one of the best savings rates in america banking with capital one is the easiest decision in the history of decisions even easier than choosing slash to be in your band
1: next up for lead guitar you're in
0: Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC.
3: So, so, yeah, I mean, um, it looks like we're uh, looking at a similar phenomenon. And, again, these can not you don't get this amount of people making things up or anything else. A lot of people, these young kids who don't have any sort of like anything. Mm. So, uh Yes, yeah, so I think we should all take this seriously. People, researchers should be taking this seriously, definitely. And um, I mean, maybe we're slightly ahead of ourselves here, but um, I, I do want to address some of the, the other questions because we had Glenn Vaudry on last week, and he was talking about this, and he has a different mm-hmm. viewpoint on this to you. But uh, one of the things he said was, uh, "Oh, they they don't come into towns, and they don't um, they don't go after our rubbish." But what you've just described is is a a garden which was for blind people. It had a lot of aromatic plants and things yes. like that. It does and sound, food, yeah, food it does bins sound, and waste. Yeah, food bins and waste. So it does sound to me like uh, this could be an answer to what Glenn was saying. That we're looking at a creature that actually was looking for our rubbish and was trying to get maybe get in and out of Manchester surreptitiously before you encounter these two 15-year-old girls playing around. Um,
4: I, I can't speak for every witness, and I mm. can't speak for every Bigfoot researcher across the world, but what I can tell you is, they come right up close to towns all across America. <clears throat> they come right up close to towns all across Russia. They do it in Hawaii. They do it in uh, France. They do it in Holland. Iger Burtsev has done more research in his 80 years on the Russian hominid than any man I know.
3: So the it's called
4: the El isn't it? The El And he has mapped them all across Europe. And I am incredibly lucky because Iger shares a lot of his things with me, because he knows that I will continue my map outwards across Europe because people are finding the same things. They're finding them in Holland, they're finding them in Russia, in Siberia, in Ireland, in Scotland. They are finding the same things, the same footprints, the same structures, the same anecdotal accounts, the same descriptions, the same behaviour patterns. They follow follow the foraging roots in America. They follow the foraging roots in the UK. They follow the foraging roots in Russia. Russia. And I get very passionate when I speak about them because, to me, they're not longer a monster. They are an incredibly intelligent form of life, regardless of what they are or what anybody thinks. There is intelligence behind what they do.
3: Yeah, I mean... Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously... As I was saying to Charmaine, and these are obviously some kind of ape. They're from the primate family, just like we are. Yes, and, exactly. Um, of course, that gives them high intelligence. Um chimpanzees, gorillas, for example, can use tools. They can use, they can sign, they can make signs and things like that, so they can understand each other. There's very complex social systems. Yes.
4: Um, but we have to be fair. We have to say that there are also other indications that they, they, that is not the only theory. And I, I want to be fair across the board. Um, there are many, many theories. There's the zoo farm theory, which is somewhere outside of the cryptozoology zone. I don't understand it because, like I say, I am not a marathon runner, but I can read all the books on marathons and I can run the stats and I can do, a, you know, projected assumptions and theories, but I'll never know what it's like because I will never run the race. So I'm not a fartian. I am a witness to this creature. So I already have a closed-off mind, some would say. I have a bias, and I accept that. So I thought, I am never going to come to a conclusion of what they are until I sit down with one and ask them. Until they tell me what they are, I will never accept another man's wisdom. i listen to his theories, and I will take it on board, because within it, somewhere will be wisdom, and I will understand it. But it's not my truth. So... We have these theories. There is the simple ape, the Billy ape, the unknown primate, the Orang Pendek. The little Britain would not. We would have found it. We would have found an ape by now. I'm well, sure yeah. we would have found an ape. So well, this is
3: this is now. a this is an argument I often get. I mean, Glenn, Glenn made this, and, and Paul Bella, though, who's sadly no longer with us, he 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 actually said this to me when I met him in Bath at the Asap conference, I mean, because I asked him about this, I, mm-hmm. I just said Um, because I'd heard about I hadn't heard all the details that you and Charmaine have given. but I said I'd heard about somebody who'd seen um, a creature in in Kent at Tunbridge Wells in Kent yes and um, he said oh it's something it's a zoiform phenomena which is uh, uh, Jonathan Downs talks about this as well in his books Mm -hmm. these are these are actually some kind of supernatural being they're not physical but they appear in the form of an animal yes like like the the Mothman which John Keel wrote about yes yeah exactly and um, the the owl man, which Jonathan Downs himself has written yes. about. You know, I would
4: question that. Mm. I would like to just, just a little. little sure. There is an encounter on the map, and it didn't come to me, it came to Jonathan Downs. And it's from a gentleman who was a doctor in a hospital in Dartmoor in 1948, who said that a wild man was brought into the hospital, escorted by army personnel, taken into a room, injected and sedated, and removed from said hospital by 10 policemen. Put into a van and taken away.
3: Is that flashing blood or is that zoo form? This was a, a creature that was t- taken by the army and the police were involved in. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and that
4: is in, you can find that, it's on the map and it's in Jonathan's blog. There are always different sides to a story, and depending on where you stood, even the witnesses themselves. Some will say it was a werewolf, and I will ask them why. Mm. I'll say, well, did it have a snout? No. Did it have ears on the top of the head? No. Did it have a tail? No. Did it have paws? No, it had hands. Why do you think it was a werewolf? I don't know what else to call it.
3: Yeah, because I suppose you what it's, it's, what, what's, it's, it's a limitation of language, isn't it?
4: Yeah, so you ask what it looked like, and they say it was kind of looked like a human and a man combined, a man and a headache ape combined, and it was hairy, and it was like us, but much bigger, and it ran really quickly, and it was up the hill in a flash. I took a report two months ago from a... Uh, two car full of ladies that were travelling back from a venue in Yorkshire who broke down unfortunately and saw what they described as the running man who was about 8 feet tall and running along the side of the motorway he was all one colour and everybody in the car saw him so the fact that one car phoned the other car to make sure that they'd seen it and this is in 2018
3: had they are they had both seen it?
4: <clears throat> all of them, All the car, there was four women in one car and four women in the
0: other
3: Goodness. i mean this is uh, what's interesting there i mean it's not obviously again we have different witnesses cooperating it but the 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 idea of this 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 thing from the hospital is very interesting because I mean it's very similar i mean to stories I've heard about aliens yeah where exactly. um, the, the army will turn up when they, they're keeping people away they don't want pe- people to see it so mm-hmm. this would indicate that um maybe at some level the authorities are aware this creature exists and they don't want us to know about it.
4: Mm. And then you bring us to the alien theory. There is also the theory that Bigfoot, Sasquatch, whatever you want to call them, are some form of a nuke. Um, the Council of Thirteen is often raised. Pala- P- I don't know anything about them, I just know the name. Syrians, Palladians. Um, there is that, that they are.
3: <laughs> we had Miles Johnston. We had Ma- Miles Johnston yes. was saying that the other day. I mean, I was talking to him about this, and he's saying, oh, they're, they're some kind of extraterrestrial being. and They're, yes, hi- they're, they're highly intelligent. Things. They come. And I mean, to, to be, I mean it's worth looking at because there are several <laughs> UFO encounters. There's one at skyle, which is a, mm-hmm. a place by the on one of the Great Lakes in the United States. Yeah. In 1965, there was a very interesting event where there was one of these creatures was seen in conjunction with the landing of a flying saucer. Yes. You know, yeah. So. That um,
4: look, at, we, we have examples of that here in the UK. Also, mm. we have Canic Chase, for instance.
3: Oh, where, that place. <laughs> everything yes, has organic exactly. Chase.
4: <laughs> it, where hev- everything from UFO to, what's the strangest one? Pigman. Um,
3: oh, the Pigman. Oh, gorgeous. the pig But Colvin
4: Forest in Scotland is another one. There mm. has been UFO activity at Colby Por- Forest. And I have accounts from five different people in Towns that all describe the same ginger head. They call it the ginger Ra. And it steals fish from their nets, and it walks past their houses, and they are so used to it, they talk about it between themselves.
3: You know, it's not it's not impossible that all these theories are true, and that we're actually, when we say the British Bigfoot, we're using a generic name for more than one phenomenon.
4: Yes, we are. When we use the word Bigfoot itself, we are
3: using a generic yeah. name. So it could be that, that Glen. That
4: came r- in because <laughs> of an American reporter. Before yeah. that, they were called the Sasquatch people, and every there's places all across Canada and America... That
3: I named for them. Yeah, I mean this is um, well, this is an interesting thing because we, I wanted to bring this up with you because this is a point that Glenn <coughs> raised as well. But when you when you go to the United States, of course, and to Canada and go all across North America, <coughs> you find that the Bigfoot, once it was seen, was mm-hmm. the in the local the local native people, the Indians would say, oh yeah, we've seen we've we've always been seeing these things. Yeah, and, and so have Britain, so have the people of Britain. Oh, right, because Glenn denied this. He said that there's no historical precedent or mythological precedent in Britain for these kinds of creatures. Um, Is that that not the case?
4: Well, it could be because that's Glenn's truth, isn't it? I'm not a historian, but I did a little... I've I've had a little look into this over the years. Um, And you'll either agree or you won't. Uh, But there are... The very first picture, uh, carving, whatever you would like to call it, Of a green man, shall we call it, the wood woose, the base within the leaves, was in 420 BCE. And that was the first green man image that was ever carved. Now, you have to remember, history was not put into writing unless you were incredibly rich and could afford a scholar.
3: That's right. In those days, as the iron Oh, Age. we
4: oh. yeah, we get up to the Victorian times when things are noted, where the Woodwoose and the Green Man is talked about everywhere. He is in our carvings he is in our churches, he was in our culture.
3: But was, pubs, it's the name of yeah. pubs, isn't it? There's pubs called Green Man.
4: Green Man, exactly. Do you know why Stainsfield is called Stainsfield? Why? Because when they had the penny papers, which most people will understand, they offered it for. Let me give it right. They had Stainsfield. There was two (laughs) wild men that inhabited 280 acres of land. So in the Penny Papers, they said that any man that was prepared to come and kill said wild men could own that land. And the blood was spilled, and the name Stainsfield is the reason it is called Stainsfield to this day. Just sort of a little piece of useless information for you.
3: So but yeah. that's, that's very interesting. <coughs> so, so somebody actually went and actually killed one of these creatures.
4: Yeah, according to the, according to the local law, and it is only law, isn't it? It's not, it isn't written down. It, stories are passed down. We have the Albina stories, um, and Albina, depending on who's telling you the tale we'll make it generic, we'll make it as generic as we can. Albina was considered the daughter of a king and you will either be told he's a Grecian king, a Persian king or a king from the north of England and he had he said, he had these daughters and he married them off to husbands. Now we're going back here to the first century you know, I'm going way back so it's not written down, you're not going to find it on we can find it on Google actually if you look but he sent his daughters out And one of the places they went was, and it was named for the daughter Albina, was here. She went to the Lernians and Caledonia, which we would call Ireland, Scotland and Wales. And her daughters mated with the giants of Lernia because we were an island of giants at that time. And us English people, Irish people, Scottish people, are her descendants. That's the very first time. And I did find text where it said, in, it, now the pictures that have been painted were painted in the sixth century, so quite a few centuries later. So they would they depict things in their fashion in their day, and these heads are seen as floating, what we would call the Green Man, and there were there were giants that lived in the woods and they could vanish and appear at will. Um, and then we, I can go on, I can go on. There's so much. The twelfth century, we have Geoffrey of Monmouth, who talks of when he was doing Bruce's diaries. That would be 1136 BC, and he talks about um, the woodwoofs and the giants, Gog and Magog, they were called.
3: Heard of that, yeah, Gog and Magog,
4: yeah. Then around 1696, you get the Wildman of Orford. Now, all the time, the Green Man is currently running. While I'm talking about this, we still have the Green Man of old. Um we have the woman of Orphan, and depending where you listen, in some people later on in the 16th century added a mermaid's tail to it. And we think that that's just to sell more, you know, like a Barnum trick kind of thing. A mermaid's de- tail? Yeah, it was described oh. at the time as a hair covered man that was found, and he was dumb, he couldn't speak. And like Zana the um, wild woman in Russia, he was kept as entertainment in you know, honesty, for a lord. Yeah. I'll... <laughs>
3: That's, that's, so so he's actually. This is interesting because I mean the the story of Zana is very extremely interesting because yeah she, she was no one exactly knew who the strange woman was that well they said it was a, they they didn't quite identify her as human but this was in Abkhazia. yeah um, yeah yeah but they found out who she was because she was actually a black woman from Africa and she well well uh, meant she, she was a slave said. she was actually probably an escaped slave from the Ottoman Empire
4: well it was Ida, it was Ida Burt who we mentioned before that actually mm. traced her DNA. And he actually went to every living relative that she has in Russia. Yeah. Because she had four children. Well, she had six children, but only two of them remained.
3: Yeah, but she's grand, she got grandchildren, did not she?
4: She has great-grandchildren and, and yeah. so on and so forth. There's a very high DNA of Neanderthal within them. And the other part of the DNA is sub-Saharan African, which means at some point her ancestors came, one set was from the north, and one separate was from the east, like, the, you know, Africa and, and the north. So they, at some point, that's where her DNA kicks in. It isn't like anybody else's in Russia, and it isn't like ours.
3: Well, that's so strange. it's not as
4: simple as the fact that
3: she was just a slave. Oh, right, so she, that's because I, if she wasn't, then it means that that adds to the mystery, because.
0: Yes, yeah.
3: Because people say, oh, she's, it's okay, she's human, but she's she's obviously for, like a black woman and they didn't identify as human because they, no, they'd never seen a black person before. No, much stranger than
4: that. Yeah, much stranger than that. Her appearance yeah. is very strange. She had a very strange appearance. Yeah. Uh, a very respected yeah. doctor did the DNA. It was Dr. Todd Disatel. And he himself said that there is something very strange about the DNA, but it, we can trace it to sub-Saharan African, which you can do with some humans. Um, so it's not outstanding, but her DNA was strange. She had a very large jaw. Hmm. which was the reason they thought she might be Neanderthal or something like that. She was around seven and a half feet tall. Oh,
3: it right, was she's a very big woman.
4: It was said that she could carry two sacks of 800-pound flour uphill. She didn't like people at all. I'm not surprised. They put her in um, outside, like a cage, and she dug a hole in the ground, and that's where she liked to live. And the, 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 he hired her out to the local men, and that's where the pregnancies came from. And when she had a baby, she took them down to the river, and she washed them. And unfortunately, in Siberia, that meant that they died of the cold. Aww. So her owner's wife took in the last two children. One was called Kvit, and I can't remember the name of the young lady. Mm. Kvit was said to be a bigger stature than a man. There is, You can find his photograph on YouTube. It's on yeah, uh, I've Google. Seen, I've seen yeah, i yeah.
3: He's a strange he, looking chap.
4: <laughs> yes, he was he had a terrible temper apparently. Hmm. Um, but quite intelligent and was had a very good work ethic. You know, that that was the, the reputation that he had back then. And it said in one fight he fought so hard he lost one arm and he turned up at work the next day and still carried out his usual quota.
3: I mean, you know? <laughs> that's amazing. I
4: know, you see, this yeah. is a wonderful story. But Zana came from somewhere and As you said yourself, it's not the only one in the world where we have this this DNA in Alaska that was.
2: Breathe in, breathe out. Get dressed, head out. Grab some friends, camp out. Get hiked up, vibe out. Take it in, let it all out. At REI Co-op, we're here for all the outs. And we want you to spend more time outside our doors and in them. Try it out. Check out Think It Out. REI Co-op. All out. Visit REI.com.
1: Hey, are you tired of the irritation you get down there? From pads and other bladder weakness products, new Tennis Sensitive Care Pads are the first bladder weakness pads enriched with our Skin Comfort Formula. 100% breathable material in combination with the skin-friendly layer is designed to be soft on intimate skin. And as always, with triple protection from leaks, odor, and moisture. Dermatologically approved by the Skin Health Alliance. Tennis Sensitive Care Pads with Skin Comfort Formula. Available online and in stores now.
2: Breathe in, breathe out. Get dressed, head out. Grab some friends, camp out. Get hiked up, vibe out. Take it in, let it all out. At REI Co-op, we're here for all the outs. And we want you to spend more time outside our doors and in them. Try it out, check out, then get out. REI Co-op, all out. Visit REI.com
4: found by um dr meldrum
3: yes, and he right. spent that
4: off and that came back as 96 percent human four percent not really sure
3: because so these these creatures are actually i mean they're fertile with humans so in other words they can actually create hybrid hybrids with humans the same way a yeah. horse and a donkey can have a child have a baby which is a mule so you have a hybrid being a hybrid between two species yes.
4: And and then there are the others is um, some people believe that they are like a sentient being, like a, a godlike. They can mind speak, they can cloak, um, they can vanish and appear at will. And then we have the biblical route, which is like Nephilims and fallen angels, which I don't know anything about that or any of yeah. it. And then we have the demons. They are pure demons. They are gin, they are negative energy, they are tricksters. They will lure you into the wood so that they can attack and kill you or so that you will get lost Um I think some of the habits might be mixed up in our fairy tales and lore of boggarts and tricksters and things in the wood. And I'll have to alliterate a little bit for you to understand. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Well, it's, some of no, it's no, not but
3: ridiculous, but it's, just, it's, it's a complicated uh, theoretical model yeah, here. because These things could be almost anything.
4: Yeah, they could. They very well could. And the honest thing to say to somebody is, I do not know what they are. I don't know. And that's my honesty. I don't know what they are. They di- he didn't hand me a frequently asked question pamphlet when I saw <laughs> him. Nah.
2: You know, yeah. he
4: left me with more questions than answers. So yeah. at 15, I went to the library and I said to the librarian, "Can you give me something on early man in the UK? I think I thought he was a caveman or he was just like he was a monster and all that. He was going to come from be- behind every tree and get me." And um, she gave me stick of the Dump, which was just oh, ridiculous. That's, so a, I figured that's a novel, down. I've read that. <laughs> yeah. That's and a and story. It took, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? Mm. And it took me down for a long time, Ben, because I thought either my parents are lying mm. to me, and they know this is going on, and, and they're just lying to me face, or even worse, they have no idea that what I've seen is real. And yes, they did take me to the doctor. And yes, they had some very serious conversations with me. But at 36 years on, and I will not back down, I saw him. And it doesn't matter who believes me. It doesn't matter what the theory is, what the assumption is, what stats you run. I saw him, and I am left with that. And I hear that from so many people, day in, day out. And these are not all airy-fairy women like myself. Some of them are people in the army or ex army or policemen or um one of them a game warden um plumbers ordinary blokes all across the UK that really, really, really don't want to come forward but say to me, I have never been so scared in my life and yes, I saw him. And some of those men are sticking their head up now. And they're out there on YouTube week in, week out. You've got Gordon Macaulay He's an ex. Um, Well, I can't say what regiment he was in, but he's not, you know, a scout, and he's out week in, week out in Paul Comet, and in the midst of the storm that they had this weekend, because he's right, if we're going to find footprints, this is when we're going to find him. We're not just sat on Facebook having a laugh. There's some really serious research going on in the background that people don't realise. Oh, yeah.
3: One thing that um, strikes me from what you've just said is what I find with all other kinds of strange phenomena, whether it's UFOs or ghosts or Loch Ness monster or, or what you're talking about, is that there's no kind of person who sees these kinds of things. It's not yeah. people who are prone to fantasy and, and stuff like that. Not what mm-hmm. the skeptics like to portray us as. They they are just ordinary people walking in the woods, and they're all kinds of people. Yeah. And um, so that that again is leads to its credibility, I think, and um so who, who started the ball rolling on this? Who 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 started researching this topic first?
4: Oh, certainly not me. Um, the first person that I know that seriously on the ground research looked at this, and the re- the people had been reporting for years and years and years. This was Neil Young in the northeast, and he's in Bollum. And as most people will know, there's a Bollum beast. And he started yeah. around 2002 documenting accounts, what were coming in. That Ian when, Jennings. Yeah. When I, when I put my when I came forward, Ian Jennings gave me an awful lot of accounts that he'd collected. I had a little story of my own that I had up on a map, and Neil Young had collected them, and um, so there was just really us three at the time. And Ian Jennings, if you if you're interested in the dimensional side, the energy side of things, Ian Jennings is the man that you need to go to. If you're interested in the more technical side, the on-the-ground research, the getting down and dirty, looking for prints kind of thing. I would go to Neil Young, or I would look for Chris Turner, Stu Hill, people like that that have been out there a long time, and they will they will be there. They'll give you all the options, and you can choose for yourself. And there's a growing number, but yeah, Neil Young. First person to document footprints, he went back in British history as far as he could and looked at every single footprint that had ever been found from early man and matched them to every single bare footprint that he had found in Bollum. A place where lots and lots of people have seen the Bollum beast, as they called it
3: back then. very interesting story, the the Bollum beast, because um, well Jonathan Downs writes about this in his book. Mm-hmm. and he what he describes he actually saw it himself and what's more a hundred loads of other people did in car and there's car headlights shining on it and um mm-hmm. there's a dozen people saw it running across the road
4: the, the latest account was in Hampstead, it was last year that's no, just outside of Bolland. <coughs> the northeast mm-hmm. is a very busy area for bigfoot report reports and sightings and it's ideal because we already have the bush out there reporting we already have the wild campers out there reporting we already have the farmers out there reporting. Um, we've had farmers report sheep being carried off by them. Same as you get in Canada, same as you get in Russia. We have wild campers we've had the tents interfered with or things thrown at the tent, or if, in one case having a pee when one approached him. You know, <laughs> It's normal everyday people doing normal everyday things. A guy walking his dog in Yorkshire, For instance, 1998 in Yorkshire, walking his dog not too far from Boston Spa, up a farm lane like you do, Saturday night, 8 p.m., can't be listening to the missus anymore. I'm going to nip out and walk the dog, love. Off he goes up the farm lane. The next thing, the dog's pulling on the lead, going mental. He looks up the farm lane and he said to me, Debbie, I have no idea what I saw. It was about 8 foot tall and it was so dark that I couldn't make out any features. But it looked like the typical... Big foot silhouette that you see. It looked like that. And I said to him, Can you describe the face? And he said, No, I can't. I didn't want to look at it. But I do remember that it looked off, and you'll have heard me say this before, it looked off to the left, as if to say to something, Don't come out, or to say to him, I am not on my own.
3: That's kind of a defensive was... tactic it has. Yeah.
4: And this is how normal the accounts come in. He was so shocked, he bobbed his head at it and said, All right. And he got the dog and he walked up up the lane. And it wasn't until he got home that he fell apart. Cool. <laughs>
3: well, you know? I'd, be, well, I'd, I'd be probably be just equally shocked. I mean, that's quite something.
4: And that's what he said. He was so shocked, and he ran it through his mind for 10 years. He tried to report it. People wouldn't take it. They didn't want to know. It didn't fit the mold like mine didn't fit the mold. Yeah. You know? And you, then you think, right, well, what do I do? Do I just sit here and shut up? Or do I go, no, actually, I'm going to find other people. So I thought, if this is a spirit of some kind, a ghost of some kind, if I map the sightings, where they are, there shouldn't be a pattern. Mm. There shouldn't there be no pattern whatsoever, should there?
3: Well, it depends. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it depends where these... You don't, I don't it I be random. The ghosts and spirits, I don't know exactly how they behave. You know, so I can't
4: well, I, I, they should be random, shouldn't they? Just oh. random It depends.
3: depends. I mean, I don't know. But but anyway, carry on.
4: Yeah, so I thought, well, I'll map them, and then I'll see if your area is a very, very good area. I'll use that as an example. That's right. I was
3: having a look at that. Um, You've got quite a few from around where I live, Oxford.
4: It follows the Medway. The sightings tend to follow estuaries. Rivers. You get on the estuary, and you follow that estuary up, (laughs) and every single account is within walking distance of an estuary or a megalith, a standing stone, a stone circle, or an ancient spring, for some reason. Right. That's interesting. Every single one of them has those two things. And then when we look out a little bit more, as most of the British Bigfoot researchers tell us, there is a certain thing called a green corridor.
3: Yeah, Charmaine mentioned this. This is very
4: interesting. Yes. Put yourself in their shoes. Decide to get from one area. You actually did it. I had some real respect for you when you
3: did that. Oh, thanks. And it was... I, did. I wanted to test it, yeah.
4: And you did. And it was at a time when everybody was telling you not to do it. And you did it anyway. And I have so much respect for you for that. I really wanted to say that to you tonight. Because you you. did get up and go and look.
3: Yeah, I walked all the way from the city of Oxford up to Boar's Hill. And that's very interesting because there's, you know, the famous poet Matthew Arnold. um, Mm -hmm. He's a famous poet. He's the one who wrote the poem about the city of Dreaming Spires. Yes. He's a local. He was walking through there in, I think, 1887. He was walking exactly where I did, where there's a lot more woods in those days. Yeah, But he yeah. saw this, this big, hairy, humanoid being, slightly bigger than a man, covered in fur, big, gleaming eyes, and it scared the uh, excrement out of him, basically, and he ran for his life. Well, that, but,
4: to me, is a British big of town.
3: Yeah. I wanted to go the same way. I wanted to see that. So I went the same way, in the same area he did. Obviously, it was as many years later, and it's changed. Mm-hmm. It's all farmer's fields now, and there's but the village is still there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I found, but I did find these, um, I mean, I don't know if, it, I found these strange structures, and we want to talk yeah, about yeah, these structures, yeah. yeah, because, I mean, I, I mean, I personally, I mean, I'm still quite new to all this, and I mean, I'm open to any possibilities, and yeah. it's possible, as I said, that all these theories could be correct, and we're talking about different phenomena, which yeah. we sort of, we categorise wrongly into a single generic yeah. name, yeah. because the idea that there is actually a, bi- a biological creature... Is I think the most interesting of all, and I think it's uh, I do hope it's true because it's a great it's a great idea, and it is it's if we're looking at things like the living obviously they're avoiding human contact if they elusive, exist yeah incredibly elusive because there's plenty of creatures like I always say this I compare Nessie with dolphins because dolphins of course actually do quite like human contact they approach <laughs> ships <laughs> yeah, at sea yeah. and things like that if if the Loch Ness monster was like that. Then we'd know what it was because it'd be swimming. <laughs> yeah. You know, would come up to the shoreline and stick its neck up and stare at people. But obviously, these are very shy creatures.
4: Oh, oh, just very clever. Because yeah. would you want to mix with mankind? Well, like Andy
3: given McGrath. I mean, um, Andy <laughs> McGrath was saying this because he was saying like, yeah, because he was saying like these they, they actually are avoiding us and perhaps because, well, the same way that the reason that um, other animals avoid us because we hunt yeah. them and things like that. Now we hunt them. Yeah, it's like up to that. that.
4: If I am a very dangerous ground. And people will say to me, Deborah, if you name them, you're you putting them in jeopardy. And I say, well, that's if that's you think it's a, a blood, a flesh and blood animal. Well, I, there is an argument for that. Ian Jennings would tell you that they're not in jeopardy from us. They will live quite happily without us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, what I am, in, I me bring them to the fore is I wouldn't ne- if I had a photograph of them I wouldn't show it you, If yeah. I had a video of it I wouldn't show it you, But what I can do is I can get people to go in the woods and look, and they will either go and see nothing and think she's an absolute crackpot and move on to something else, and that's I'm I'm great with that I'm okay with that. Some people will go in and say I don't get the big butt thing, but I really like being in the woods, I might do a bit more of that and I, I love that I'm all for that because I'm a big nature buff. And I'm also, a, I want me personally. You were talking the other night about what do we do if the world implodes and it was getting you down. Do you remember? And I yeah, said, Oh, you, yeah, that's
3: right. That's see, a, I would
4: see that as a liberation. I would see that the people that can survive out there in the wild will. Mm. And they will set up a different kind of society. And I hope I'm one of them because I, I know how to make a fire outside without a lighter. Yeah. I know, you know, we you, you should know these basic, simple skills. You would have known them 150 years ago.
3: Well, a lot of it was taught in schools, and of course some people are the guides and scouts where you learn yeah. these things. But, well, you know.
4: Can, can you tell me what a filbit is?
3: A what? Mm-hmm. A filbit? I don't know, what is it?
4: It's a nut that you find all across the UK, and it has more protein than an eight-ounce pate or a chicken Ooh. breast. A filbit. And it's found all throughout the winter months. So are pine nuts, mm. um, cob nuts. There is so much food out there, Ben, before you even start on the flesh and blood protein, yeah? Chris Turner is the guy to ask about food. He knows every single protein out there that you can use, yeah? And that's before you start on animals. There is so much food out there. People are foraging in the UK. People are going back to the old ways, and they are catching their own food, and they are foraging.
3: Very yeah? good idea, yeah. So something... It it is because you don't have to. It's all free. You can just go out and find yeah. it. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Exactly. You know, times
3: are hard. Because that's another question. That's another point. Good point. Because like um, a large a large land animal would 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 obviously be high up on a food chain. Yeah. And yeah, so there would need to be that food chain to support such yeah, a have large to creature. You know. So mm-hmm. do you believe that the the British wilderness actually does co- contain enough for uh, I,
4: just... I personally, I know it does, um, and Paul Platt will tell you that it does, and um, a lot of the YouTube guys will tell you that it does because that's what they do, as they go out for six, seven, eight weeks at a time mm-hmm. with no food, and they see to themselves out there. Mm-hmm. Now, right. I think in the same way that maybe the early settlers in the UK, the Heidel, um, Bege- not, yeah, Heidelbogensis, and people like that, where they what they followed a foraging route. I don't think they stay in one area. And just they're just there in the area, in the park. You know, people think I think that. No, I don't. I think they're in massive areas like Scotland or not.
3: That would be Scotland. the place to go, wouldn't it? Because yes. well, there are there are. See, because I come from West Wales and I know I live in Oxford now. But I know there are vast areas in the UK, even in a densely populated island where there's what sixty-eight million of us crowded onto this place.
4: If I had to there's still ask wilderness. If sorry for interrupting, but you it's raised right. a valid point. If I had to ask you, you are a very educated man. On a percentage basis, <laughs> um, just a, just a guess, okay. a theory, how much of the UK would you say, on a percentage basis, is urban?
3: Right. Well, well uh, first I'm not actually educated. I've, I've left school. Well, I, you, yeah, know, you know, you know. Well, I, I actually did. Well, I don't have to guess. I can look this up. It's um, it it depends where you go in the in the world in the. I know that in Kent, where the thing was seen in Tunbridge Wells, it's 1,200 people per square mile. (laughs) But if you go up as far as uh, into some areas, it's like in the Pennines or in Northern Scotland.
0: With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band.
1: Next up for lead guitar. You're in.
0: Cool. (laughs) Yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC.
1: Hey, are you tired of the irritation you get down there? From pads and other bladder weakness products, new Tennis Sensitive Care Pads are the first bladder weakness pads enriched with our Skin Comfort Formula. 100% breathable material in combination with the skin-friendly layer is designed to be soft on intimate skin. And as always, with triple protection from leaks, odor, and moisture. Dermatologically approved by the Skin Health Alliance. Tennis Sensitive Care Pads with Skin Comfort Formula. Available online and in stores now more
0: than once actually
1: do i have
0: to say yes you do
1: in the car before my kids pta meeting
0: really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky
1: i never win and tell
0: well there you have it you could get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com play for free right now are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
3: it's less than four people per square mile and so it's the that the, the you can actually look at it and see that less, I think the average is 88 per square, no, no, mm. 203 per square, mile. It's 88 per square mile in the United States, yes. it's 203 per square mile on average in Britain. But that's, if you take that as an average, then it means that they, a lot. there is a large part of Britain, because well, most of us live in the big cities, Manchester, mm-hmm. London, you know, places like that, Glasgow.
4: Well, there are the, government figures, there are actual government figures yeah. on this. And thanks to Andy McGrath and Dominic Campion, the last survey that was taken was in 2012. So we are about six years behind. Um, and it was taken by the National Ecosystem Assessment. And this was 500 land experts. And they decided, and you're going I was shocked. I was incredibly shocked. Only 6.8% of land is urban in the UK. 6.8%.
3: I shook, even in big cities, like you mentioned Salford, you know, like there are, Ooh. there are, Thousand pounds, you yeah.
4: um, can hide. Well, people say, will say, "What about farmlands?" You got, you know, what about farmlands? So they looked up those figures as well, and they went to the same advisory board, and they said that, but 100% of farming land, only 25% of it is used for crops. So the rest yeah. of it is arable and fields and uh, fallow fields, because obviously you have a rotation system. The rest of it is basically made up. Uh, and now within those urban figures, we have to include parks, gardens, allotments, schools, colleges, playing fields, hospitals. So in reality, and this is the statement I'm reading the actual statement, as little as two percent of the UK is built upon.
3: That's really interesting. I mean, and, and it's it's just g- gels exactly with what I was just been thinking because where I work in in Iffley, Oxford, there's like a, there's like an island. Uh, yeah, on the river. On the river it's like a, an island on the river. And um, I, I often go over there, there's a bridge you can get over in and I take these dogs for a walk, it's part of my mm-hmm. job. And someone told me there's there are muntjac deer living on that yeah. island. And yeah. I, I couldn't I looked around, I couldn't believe it. But then i tell you what, when it snowed a couple of weeks ago, I saw their footprints. Yeah. footprints. Yeah. I saw it's, their cloven it's, hoofs. There's deer there. in Salford.
4: There's <clears> deer in Salford that yeah. runs through the town.
3: But I mean a deer is is about these these deer are not much smaller than a human being, yet they manage to stay hidden. Which means, if they know you're coming and they can hear you coming and they're trying to keep out your way, and they push you down the street, they can hide easily. Yeah, quite easily. If they can do it, then I imagine a a large, a large hominid could too. I
4: tend to think of it's easier for me to think of him as a tribe because I have to be so middle of the road because I'm taking accounts from people that believe in every one of these theories. So I will never say you're wrong because I don't know. I wasn't stood next to him. I was only there for my own. So they come to me because I'm a place to report. People think I'm the subject, I'm the oracle. I'm not. I'm just a place to report. And I will put my head above and say, no, I'm sorry. But you can sit and argue all day long on your theories and your assumptions. The other day when it kicks off on Facebook and it mental, my messages went mental. I took nine sightings that day. And those nine sightings came from people who'd been out camping at the weekend (laughs) Or it found me on YouTube and gone, actually, you know, Debbie, in 1980. And all of those accounts are there, ready to go. They're on the map already. Scroll down to the bottom, because when I had them on, they go to the bottom for some ridiculous reason. But every time a sighting comes in, if they allow me to put it on the map, it goes straight on there. And I put all the information on it that I can, so that you can go and walk to that area yourself and have a look round. Put yourself in their position. See if you could hide The other week, (laughs) the other day, I went out and hid in a a rhododendron bush. I do stupid things like that all the time. Because I wanted to prove that in in a sitter, you could be five metres away from somebody and they wouldn't know. And I did. And I'm disabled. My mobility is shot. I had a bright blue coat on. My husband had to hustle me in the bush. (laughs) (laughs) But I sat there. And I just sat there, and people walked past me. It was like looking out of those 1970 Louvre doors. The the ground was completely dry. It was snowing outside. It was completely dry. It was a couple of degrees warmer. I was completely fine. I could see out, but people couldn't see in. And that was next to the allotment. Yeah, I mean, this just... So, if I waited till dusk, till everyone goes in and puts the Xbox on, and I could have just nicked on the allotments, got what I want, used the train track... And made my way back to Bewell because my husband's done that route at 11 o'clock at night. He went over our back bends, and he followed the train track, because it's incredibly overgrown. He went onto the golf course. He used the old bike run that's not used anymore and overgrown to get himself to the Ellesmere Golf Course, the other the other side in, over the road, and through Light Oaks and into Bewell And he did it, and he didn't see one person
3: Blimey. So at the, 11 so if, o'clock at night. Yeah. So if one of these creatures was got found itself trapped in the city, I mean, I imagine they're likely to be nocturnal. These creatures.
4: Wait, is it what's the term when you is it cryo journal, journal When you come out, kind of dusk and dawn.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like an evening and. Evening. Yeah,
4: like like early Stone Age man did not sleep for eight hours. He had two periods of sleep and was incredibly active at dusk and dawn because that's when most of the prey animals are active. It's the best light to hunt in. You can stay hidden. Yes. It's not completely pitch black, and it's not light.
3: So if, if one of these creatures found themselves trapped, in or they, they couldn't get out quickly <laughs> enough, and they found themselves in a city, mm-hmm. there were all these humans around, they could just hide out during the day, and then nip out when it got dark.
4: Once, it, once he went back into them bushes, I couldn't see him. Yeah. He went back into the bushes, and I couldn't see him. There's a man in um, Evesham, there was a young boy who was 12, was walking home right next to the River Avon. And when I say right next, I mean about three houses away. And he's walking home. He's been out dead late at night. He's worried he's going to get done off his mum. And he sees this thing and he it said at first he thought it was a rolled-up carpet and it was against the lamppost. So you could see it because the lamp light was on. And he said what made him realise that it wasn't a carpet was because he, he couldn't see a base, It had its hands up against the... the the, the light and it looked like it was crying like a little child would do and he said it only looked about four foot tall and its actual shoulders were shaking and he said it still terrified him even though it was only little because he thought it was going to turn around and have these like horrendous teeth and come yeah. after him and get him. And it never did turn round. He, he walked as quietly as he could. He said he remembers being incredibly conscious of not making a noise with his feet. Because he didn't want it to notice him. And when he turned up, right, it had gone. So it clearly made its way back onto the Avon. Because other than that, he'd have had to come into the estate. And he was prepared to tell me the exact house he lived in as a boy. You know, not many people will give you those details. Yeah. Because he'd carried it with him for 30 years... To the point where he felt like he needed to go on medication because nobody would ever believe him
3: well it's like and that, um, it's like i think it's like a lot of other things like what you talked about like people who see ufos and ghosts and things yeah exactly because it, it's not accepted in our culture it's exactly there's a, there's a, there is an incentive to just keep quiet and talk about it if you mm-hmm. can't imagine
4: it as a concept or a reality then it doesn't mean it doesn't exist so you can come to me with a story, regardless of how unbelievable it is, and I will hear you out because my story is unbelievable. And if I was, it was 1880. Now they'd burn me as a witch,
1: yeah, you know,
4: like absolutely. a paranormal psychic at the time. They'd go on about devil worship and how it was ridiculous. How many people go out of a weekend now with an EMF meter looking for ghosts?
3: Not many. <laughs> it's too much else. But, to, but more, more do than used to. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I think it's become acceptable. It's the new derogatory. Oh, let's go ghosting. It's really acceptable.
3: Well, thanks to Most Haunted and the things like that. Yeah, yeah, it's uh...
4: become a a normal thing. Exactly the same as the the UFO. 50 years ago, you'd be terrified of coming forward with your account. I mean, you just would. You'd be ridiculed. Mm. And it was the same for Bigfoot in America 50 years ago. (laughs) People were so, panicky, so scared of coming forward and it was looked on as such a stigma. But now, the BFRO did what m- me and Ian and and Neil and Adam and everybody else did. Started t- collecting these accounts and mapping them and getting them on there. And they start adding up. And you think, well, while this data keeps coming in, I will keep doing it. Because... Nobody else is taking these accounts. I get account after account after account where they went to the Borsian Society or they went to a certain cryptozoology group or they went to somebody else and they were told they didn't fit the mold. It was impossible. It was a ghost. Who takes the accounts and who does it? There's nobody else to do it. So I will always, always have the two sides of people will say she is an absolute loon. Don't listen to her. She's a lunatic. She's, you know, just... And that's fine. But you didn't see what I saw. So I also have people on the other side who I saw them the other day saying, no, you're not telling me what I saw. You're not sitting in your armchair and telling me what I saw when I was in the Peak District or what I saw when I went camping for seven days. I thought a bear had come into camp. The bear stood up on two legs. It looked... It was about eight feet tall. These are grown beefy men who were saying i've seen it and if you've seen it you'd run it's terrifying but at no point have we ever had in britain an attack Pe- there's right, never I been where it has got, got, got anybody and killed them or ripped their arms and their legs off like you were in america well, at least no, one,
3: no one's no one's lived to tell the tale if it's happened
4: well exactly it's just well i don't think it's ever happened they will mm. the pattern tends to show there's 460 accounts there ben and even if you, you can say, well, I don't believe you, I think only 50% of them are real. Well, only 50% of them are real. That's still 220 mm. in the UK. So you look, at, you, know, you look at that and you think, is there any patterns? Is there any similarities here? And it's the same build, the same description. Rega- they never use the word Bigfoot. That is a misnomer. No witness ever comes forward and says, I've seen a Bigfoot.
3: Well, that's something you associate with North America. I mean,
4: yeah, they say I've yeah. seen an ape man, a in, man ape.
3: In North America, um, you'd say Bigfoot, but then that's that's uh, like a it's just an established thing there, it has been throughout the history of that continent. Mm, um. Yeah, so
4: they have something they have something to reference when it comes to that. Yeah. You do hear Green Man, I've heard that a number of occasions, where the witnesses describe seeing your typical Green Man stands where it's eyes within the trees, looking out at them and then it will reveal itself and it becomes this hairy, horrible figure um, to most people. But there are people who've had um, kind of psyche... Terrible word, that's not the wrong word. Completely the wrong word. We've had mind speak and all the things that are happening in America are happening here in the UK and they need to have a voice as well. We can't just say, well, all right, we'll listen to you and we'll believe that it's a big book. And then right, okay, well, we'll believe it's flesh and blood. We're not believing anything else. It, we've only been at it's a tiny little speck. We've been researching. We've not looked at all the data.
3: But it's is quite a new field, I think. But,
4: exactly. You know, it's wanted, too early to be ruling anything yeah.
3: out. I just wanted to ask, like, has anyone ever come across a dead body? Because this, this, no. this is a this is a relevant question because this is yeah, very often is, what but, I hear yeah, about in is. North America. Because, um, I very often a person's first encounter with a with a a, a, a wildlife, something like a, a rare piece of wildlife, like an eagle mm. or a, a deer or something, or a very elusive piece of wildlife, is you find a dead body lying on the road where they've been run over. And yep. that they, well, there are reports from North America of occasionally this happening, but what about uh, in Britain?
4: I haven't heard of any, like the typical American where they've been brought out from with the army, or, or other than the one in Dartmoor, that's the only one. Um, hard question, but I will try and answer it, to be honest. Sure. The the honest question is, I don't know. I've never been there when they've dealt with the dead one, so I don't know what they do.
3: What about dealing with the dead one? I mean, you mean, are you suggesting like...
4: Yeah, they would know, I I don't know. But the theories are A, that they remove the body like we would and they bury it somewhere, right? That's Hmm. your first one. Your second one is, they use one of the many cave systems in the UK, because we're just underridden with cave systems, aren't they? That's one of the theories. The other theory would be that if they are human and they are being found after they're dead, any bones, specimens or anything that's left behind would just be tagged as a missing person or an unknown. Um, Some people think they've been build mounds and put them into mounds like early Neanderthals did, early um, Hydal mo heidel did yeah uh, there's lots and lots that i don't even know is the honest answer i don't know what happens with the bodies we should at some point surely there is a lady in um she's in stafford and she is looking into that seriously she has a channel called primal people on youtube and she's looked at this because she has a scientific background in a very scientific way and she has gone out and spoke to like orthopedic people anthropologists some really up there guys, Oxford, Cambridge, in in the UK, and said, would it be possible? Not the hominid route, but to get rid of a body. If it, you know, if I were to get rid of a body, would it be possible? And she's looked at our early burial techniques and other bur- burial techniques around the world. So she's gone into her, she's taken a aerial photograph of her research area, and then she has GPSed onto that every single X and then every single arch. And the X's farm a box within
3: the forest. Yeah. Now these, are, these are the, just to clarify, these are... Huge
4: X's that people yeah. find, these are yeah, structures that have been manipulated. They're, yeah, well, they're,
3: they're structures in the forest which are made of wood. They're made out of tree branches and things like that. That appear yeah, to be artificial structures in a particular shape.
4: Yeah, it's very dodgy ground because people will claim every bus shelter out there, everything that's ever been made by a man out there is a big book.
3: Well I I, <laughs> I came across one of those myself in <laughs> Bores Hill and I and I didn't jump to I didn't jump to any conclusions. You just quite. think this
4: is strange. Yeah, it's always a very strange. weird thing,
3: but it yeah. it did resemble what I saw as resembled some of the yeah. things that you've talked about.
4: Well so this is her idea, that if if we want to put that forward then we have to do it scientifically. We have to see if they line up. And it it made a central square, and outside of the central square there were the arches that we find, pinned arches, very intricately pinned, not just stuck in a tree, but actual trigger pinned very intricately. And within that barrier, there were small mounds that can be picked up by LiDAR. Now, as technology gets better, we may find that we might start as the future go on, find a few what look like maybe burial sites from above, She did offer me the opportunity to come in on one of them, and that's not for me. I'm not digging up nobody's grave, but nobody. I have my proof. I don't have to prove to any man what I saw, and it's not. I wouldn't disturb a um, a man's grave, let alone a creature I know nothing about. But it probably will happen because there's a massive cry for DNA.
3: But this is exactly. I mean, this is eventually your body will turn up. But I mean, there's two there's two points I want to bring up there connected to the presence of bodies and one yeah. of those is um if these creatures exist and they're burying you know they're burying their dead they're not just leaving dead bodies lying around for us to find yeah. uh because of course humans don't do that do we we, we, no. we you, I don't, if you see a dead body in in human society it's very quickly disposed of but um <laughs> exactly how close to us are they in terms in terms of their intelligence and behavior for example how close to us are they because obviously we have similarities to the chimps and gorillas uh, mm. But of course, that we have many differences as well. Um, well, uh, how how much are they like us? Do you think?
4: Well, once again, this is only theory. Um, but there um there are uh, the, the the habits that I've seen. I'm going to take it that way. I'm going to go down that route. I've been looking at this for a really really long time, and they're incredibly like us. I decided realized a long time ago when I realized that they were following the kind of uh, I said to you that they match up with the megalithic sites. I wondered why they matched up with the megalithic sites. And I thought, I wonder if they were just early landmarks and they were just routes that people genuinely took. And we build these places on where you can see them from surrounding us. I was really lucky. I got to talk to a guy from Manchester University and he's actually working on um, the Cheddar Man. It was a thing that came out today. Yeah and, I started, yeah, and I started discussing with him. I said to him, you know, it's a big thing, but I think... My personal opinion is that they are some kind of early hominid, maybe a brother or a cousin of ours, because they are so like us in our early habits. And he showed me um, a, the very first structures to be built in the UK, and it was high, dull, homo begensis. That is the nearest thing that I have ever found that looked like him. It wasn't hairy enough. It looked like the typical high, dull begensis that you see. It yeah, looked okay. like that, very caveman-like, that, but much, much hairier. And the structures are the same as what people in America are claiming as Sasquatch signed, but to me they, they look like bushcraft shelters. But that is for me is a plus because that means they're probably building in the same way that we built 14,000 years ago. Their sightings definitely follow the foraging routes, so they are moving across the UK in the same way that we did. When we followed the food, i.e. the berries, mm. whatever became ripe, that's how we did it. We did not stay in one place for thousands and thousands and thousands I mean, of years. Nomadic, yeah, nomadic. Yeah, we were very, you very know, nomadic because places. if you stay in one place, you have to farm. You would, you would deplete yeah. the area. You would also be noticed.
3: Well, that's this is the thing. I mean, the green corridor idea. This idea of green corridors is actually quite plausible because. They are. I mean, especially, it must be getting easier for them, actually, because yeah. I mean, ever, ever since the Iron Age, the, the forests of the exactly. of Britain have been, de- been depleted. But since the 1950s, that process has been reversed for the first time yes. ever in, in two and a half thousand years.
1: 12% and
4: more since yeah, the 1920s. Exactly. And then you've got the massive forest that's just been, we've just got 2.5 million to build a forest here right across
3: the north yeah you have like for the, so for the first time forests are actually increasing in size and we're getting more woodland in britain mm-hmm. and because because of various green belt legislation and stuff like that yeah, now you yeah. mentioned i know a lot of the, i know that in, in oxfordshire one of the methods the county uses to keep its green belt quota up is it and you mentioned this in when before with your husband mm-hmm. railway lines the yeah. ra- on the long side of rail track they're all overgrown and the reason yeah. they're overgrown is because they're used to, to a green belt quota yeah, so we, yeah. uh, would the, so, if these things have learnt to, to to follow railway tracks, they could get almost anywhere. And what's more, they could just keep out of the way when a train comes.
4: I I believe in and... that so much. I moved onto the railway line. My at the bottom of my garden is that scenario. I have a fence and an incredibly steep embankment that is really overgrown. This wild food on there. These buzzards and owls and bats and all oh, manner of boxes. We have all manner of stuff walking up and down that line. There. A,
3: you could set up a night vision camera. I
4: and, could if I wanted to, yeah. yeah we'll I very probably could, you know. And just over that railway line, I live in what you would class as a town, um, and that, but I'm at the very, very edge. So, like, a new town, and I'm in the very end row. So, mm. over the back of that railway line, it's just fields and woodland, it, running in a very long strip up to the Forest of Boland or down to the Peace District. so so. i would utilize it at night when nobody was around those i live here those trains stop at 12 o'clock yeah and they don't start Mm -hmm. till six in the morning because it's not a main line Mm -hmm. and that's a usable line there's a hell of a lot of disused lines in the uk as well you know both courses people say that's laughable. you look yourself choose five sightings off the map randomly then And look at them and then pull the area out a little bit and I guarantee you will find a railway line, a stream or a brook, and a golf course and a nature reserve. You will find all of those there.
3: Well, golf courses and nature
1: reserves are often combined like they are where I am. With Lucky Land you can get lucky just about anywhere.
3: of course. Golf courses have these fairways, and they have the like the tees and the holes. But in between them, there's like woodland between the different. Yeah, the rough. Um, yeah. Yeah, the rough. And I mean, that's now being used as like uh, for nature reserves. So I know that near where mm. I live in Oxford, they're doing that at the local golf course. There's yeah. loads of places like with just bushes and brambles and trees, and yeah. there's a brook, and it's um yeah, so there's lots of open space there. Now, there is. Now another thing that interested me. Is what you said. You, we be touched on this with the the story from the hospital, but maybe one of the reasons I'm, that they don't appear is that the government don't want us to know they're there. And I mean, this Darcy Weir, when he was on the show mm. talking about his research on the Sasquatch, a Canadian researcher, yeah. he said he'd he'd spoken he spoken to some people at at, um, at some lumberjacks who had actually shot one of these creatures when it came into the into the wood into the uh, sawmill, mm-hmm. and. They they didn't know what to do with it. So they called the Mounties, so the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and these people turned up in, in big lorries. The, the Mounties they turned up in big lorries. They confiscated the body and they and they threatened the the lumberjacks, yep. warning them, don't say a word about this. And this is very similar to stories you hear about UFO crashes with aliens and things like that. Yeah, exactly, and yeah, the conspiracy thing, yeah. Yeah, there's many, many ways of doing this. For example, if, for example, if someone digs up one of these grave sites and takes the bones yeah. in to be examined in a museum, exactly, they can yeah. get lost, they can be yes, mislaid. Yeah.
4: Or it would just get reported as a homeless
3: person. Yeah, even even if it's... It's a John Doe, human.
4: wouldn't it? Sorry, it's human, him.
3: yeah, they just yeah human. it's just
4: John Doe. It's a, it's a nobody, nobody's yeah. ever come forward. Um. I don't know. I honestly don't know on the body thing. That is one of the sticklers. That, that, but, I mean, there again, I know there's links out there, but I've never seen a dead one.
3: But why would they? Why would the government not want us to know if these creatures exist? You You'd think? have to
4: stop mining. You'd have to stop logging. You wouldn't be able to let any humans in the national parks. There's 16 national parks in the UK that are owned by the National Trust. You'd have to shut them down.
3: I guess that this would, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, it may make you us... You'd be able to build again. It would have a. It would you can't have an effect build on because our... of a
4: bat. Sorry for talking over. Sorry, me. no, no, sorry, sorry, carry on. If you can't build because a bat lives in a certain place or a newt lives in a certain place, you try getting that building planning to go through if a wild man lives there.
3: Yeah. It's
4: not going to happen. It would change the society if every person in the UK believed that they were running around out there. A, we would either be hunting them like Frankenstein and the villagers... Or B, we'd be running screaming for the hills, <laughs> scared to death. We'd, we'd and then the money side of things—why? There's no way they do it. There is no way they do it. A, they'd have to recognise them as a species, mm. and that just doesn't affect the UK. It affects them worldwide, doesn't
3: it? Well, it's—it would. It, I think it would have a, an effect on our society because, as a reg- whole, yeah, regardless of their level of intelligence, physically they are mm-hmm. so like us. and They are upright apes like we yeah. are. Whereas we're. We believe we're the only operate eight, we're the only eight that doesn't climb trees, we're the only eight which has these unique flat feet.
4: That is it, it's you human know. arrogance, isn't and, it? It, yeah. it is human arrogance. They just look too much
1: like us. are the top
4: predator. Mm. We are the most intelligent thing to walk this earth. Well, they are so intelligent that they can elude us.
3: And perhaps yeah. perhaps the government has, uh, I mean, I've talked about this on previous, on previous shows. But every new discovery and every new invention is vetted for its effect on our mass culture and our psychology. And the government want us to think and feel a certain way so that we're easier to sort of govern.
4: Well, there's nobody in the UK looking seriously at that. Mm. I would love it if someone out there knew how to get through that damn freedom of information act. Because we have tried, and we tried on one mm-hmm. county alone. But
3: well, it depends on I, the level of. I will
4: send you the paper. I'm not mm. talking out of me. Min- I will send you the paperwork after the show because sure. Chris gave me permission to send it to share it. And it we only applied just to see if there was any reports at be being the obvious place to check because there's so much stuff that's reported from Cannock, doesn't oh, yeah. it? And they sent the figures over, and they were astounding. They were absolutely astounding. There was something like 1,500. But that had just been a word search. So we've got to say that a lot of that would be absolute rubbish, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's 15,000 times that it's hit on Google kind of thing or whatever. But they said to us, within seven hours, they said, no, you can't have those figures. We want them back. We've looked at every single one of them, and they're wrong.
3: And also... that's 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 exactly it. And also the, the other factor is the level of classification, because yes. there are some there are some levels of classification that are immune from the Freedom of Information Act. And it's possible it's if, just, they go- if they're that determined to keep the secret, they could classify it outside the realms of the foyer.
4: he just whipped it out from under us. I was quite shocked, because but Chris Turner's used to this is it is he's in the, the field, isn't he? I'm yes. not. So I, I was thinking, oh, they'll just give us everything. They'll be open with it. <laughs> and they, within, they just, dumb. No, you can't have him. You know, that's it. You're not having him. You can't publish him. You can't release him. And for us to ask again, we have to make sure that we put the town, the time, and the date for a sighting that we don't even know has happened. Yeah, How do we do that?
3: Exactly. It's tricky, isn't it? It is
4: tricky. So we... <clears throat>
3: I mean, I. Uh, I mean, I. I've, one thing I'd be concerned about with these creatures is they—they probably have more to be con—much more to be concerned from us than we do from them. Their population yes. is going to be a lot smaller than ours. Yeah. And yeah. Um, they in a sense, maybe, if if, this comes about. This is a problem. This is a big problem in North America. Yes. That when when there's a Bigfoot sighting, half the people want to come and see it and get a photograph yeah. of it, and half the yeah. people turn up with their shotguns, wanting a bag, one yeah. for the. For the for the shelf above the, the mantelpiece exactly that. You know, yeah. and um, I mean, what? Why? I, I talked to several people about this. Like one guy I know, Canadian, again, who who's, who's interested in Bigfoot. He says if he took a photo of it or filmed it, he would wait at least two weeks before saying anything to anyone, just to give the creature time to get out the place, get, get out the yeah. place before all the sight did, season did, hunters turned up. Yeah, exactly. That
4: that's the problem that you have. There are serious people out there hunting them. there's um, an a million
3: pound test but that means, I mean, these creatures, could we could just drive them into extinction within two weeks of them yeah. being being acknowledged, because people would be going out there with their guns just to say, look, I, sh- well, I shot a Bigfoot, you know, yeah. and it's like, oh, God. And yeah, the exactly, you ported, there you know. is that.
4: But then you have the, the thing that, the other side of the coin, we are, why do they come close to towns? They don't. We build more and more and more into the countryside.
3: We do. Well, you know, Sherwood Forest
4: we. has an, a multitude of accounts. It's one of the areas in the UK where you see more than one, where an actual father and, I say son, a father and a young one have been seen together mm. um, That to stretch the breadth of England. Now it's lots of little tiny woods, that's it. But there yeah. is a massive cave system underneath there, the Crestwell Caves.
3: Oh right, because we, I'm mean Charmaine mentioned this that apparently they they do use underground passageways possibly to navigate and things like that. We tracked some
4: of them all the way. Some of the cave systems here in the UK go all the way to Romania and Turkey.
3: Yeah, that's really, some of them are artificial too, and no one knows exactly yeah. who built them. But uh,
4: yeah, why are there?
3: No, no, Sherwood Forest is, is like about. Um, it's an interesting piece of woodland which is just uh, Robin Hood fame. Yeah. It's not far from Nottingham, of course. Um, and Nottingham has a m- huge cave system underneath it. It's virtually an underground city yeah. underneath Nottingham.
4: It does. Most of the UK. Just a lot of the UK is either limestone or butterstone or sandstone. Mm. And we're in Ireland, um, and we have a lot of cave systems. And we looked, and I think it's only 16% of them have been mapped. And it's, I don't advise anyone to go down a cave. But no, there is, a guy, <laughs> there is a guy researching doing that. Paul Platt's doing that on the Wirral. Um, and he said, "What well, if you go underground? And I'm going to look down there. It's not. People think it's just me. I didn't just make the map on my own. There was loads of other people out there searching online in forums. But a lot of these accounts get lost to the paranormal groups.
3: Yeah, but you know, if, um, you, if you if you have like a, obviously you need to know what you're doing. Bring one of these spelunkers, these cave explorers. Yeah, you.
4: exactly. Yeah, yeah.
3: Um, you, 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 it's worth doing just to see what you could find. You might find footprints and things down there.
4: Yeah, there's been put, there's lots of footprint finds. We have lots of footprint finds. Neil Young's got loads of them. I've got lots of them. I save them all in a database. Every time they come in, I save them. Every strange structure that comes in, I map them, and then I see that it makes. Then I want to know if they're coming from other places. So the best way to do that is ask people to send you photographs of them. That's what I do. I'm not saying the big foot. I'm saying these structures are being found all across the UK. Ninety nine percent of them are going to be weather but it's that little tiny, the ones that stand out, and you think, that is really strange. How oh, there, you know. It looks like, some of them match the Binka language, some of them, which is the earliest written language in Europe, some of them match the Nordic runes.
3: Right, and well, that would that be a whole new level now. You're talking yeah. about a creature that has a spoken
4: that I was going to say that to you. And it maybe a has a written language, <laughs> yeah. Well, that what be... if they're human or some kind of human? They yeah. would have all of the abilities that we had back then. Your hearing would have been better. Your sight would have been better. Your sense of smell would have been a million times better. The only thing you had to worry about was shelter, water and food.
3: Nothing well, else. Quite something. If, if for any reason we die out because of some disease or some disaster... They may, like, take over and they might end up building mm. cities or something in thousands of years' time. I would
4: imagine they're praying for it. I bet <laughs> if, they, if they have a belief system, yeah. I bet they're putting everything they've got into it. Can you imagine being them, watching what we've done to the world?
3: I know. It must be awful. If, if, you, if they have that ability it, to copy yeah.
4: that, yeah. Yeah, like every animal in the world. Um, I think we... we we don't understand, um, even now, in, in this day and age, how we lived back then. Um, that was something I noticed today. I was talking about the guy from Manchester University with the Cheddar Guard Man. He brought up an interesting thing for me. And I thought, science is always changing its facts. Mm-hmm. 30 years ago, when they described Cheddar Man, they described him as probably very pale skinned. Quite thin and weedy, and you know, not really mu- up to much. And it's amazing that he survived, and all this kind of malarkey. And then they run these DNA tests, and it comes back that he was 76% more than likely a black man. He had dark curly hair, um, quite robust, and very good diet, and not at all like we thought. Kind of the same yeah. thing that we did with the Ant- Neanderthal.
3: That's breaking news, <laughs> that is actually. So that's just come out today that they've, they've, they've got a DNA profile on the cheddar man, which is really quite yeah. Uh, amazing. Yeah, and he was a yeah. dark skinned. And- but may, may have come from it. North Africa or the Middle East. Yeah. Uh,
4: and then they say, Oh well we got it wrong again, but now we've got it right.
3: But that's how science should operate. It's it changes yeah. its position, yeah. So
1: But some can't...
4: people don't move their thinking with that. Some yeah. people are told something thirty years ago and then that becomes their proof, their their truth. Mm. So they don't but what if these guys had done that thirty years ago and I'm oh, no, not gonna bother? There's always got to be people that push the boundaries, well, I mean, that say, that... you know, no, I'm not settling for that, I'm going to see where this leads me. Well, there's a you lot know? of creatures,
3: there's a lot of animals in the world which are now acknowledged as species yes. that exist, which a number of uh, decades ago were considered cryptids. Yeah, show, exactly, the,
4: the gorilla, for instance, like the, the, the
3: Yeah, the giant squid, for example. Um, yeah, this exactly. This was in the same, ca- you know, 100 years ago, this was in the same category as the Loch Ness Monster, yet now we know it exists. Yeah, exactly. So it's been seen. It's and
4: I think once people just get used to the fact that people are claiming that they have seen Bigfoot in the UK, eventually, 10, 15 years down the line, people will take it seriously and they'll probably join us. There are lots of people joining us now. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 we don't do any harm. We? All we're doing is we're out in the woods. We're just out in the woods enjoying nature. Trying to get some answers because we all have different questions. We, the researchers, have a set of questions. The sceptics have a set of questions. The witnesses themselves have a set of questions. Um, and we, we might not ever find the answers. I'm okay with that. A lot of people are not, but I'm all right with the fact that I might never get me answers.
3: You know, if, if it ever, be, if it's ever positively proved, I mean, this is this is an yeah. interesting thing because this leads us into the same kind of. Uh, speculation that I've been talking about when it comes to UFO disclosure, right? Yeah. We're yeah. gonna have to think, well, what's the first thing we should do? What's the second thing we should do? Yeah. How what's the impact of this gonna be? And I mean you the first have... thing I say the first thing we should have to do is set up some kind of um some kind of regulation for protecting them. That's the first yes, thing
4: have got to most do. Most definitely, yeah. Um but we have that already, we have CITES, don't we? And lots and lots hmm. of animals that are on the CITES list get sold over eBay every day. Humankind is awful they if yeah. they prove somebody will want one in a cage somebody will want to see one in a zoo we will view them as animals regardless oh, of God. whether they are or not because we don't understand them and with human beings what you don't understand you
3: fear that's true and we are unfortunately we do have this destructive streak to us as a species yeah. which is very sad <laughs> i brought this up in the video you were talking about earlier which i made and um, mm. and it's like I mean, the first thing, probably, if, if, well, if I was Prime Minister, the first thing I'd do is I'd get, the, I'd get the army to basically surround all the national parks, to stop people going in there, just say, look... Well, you'd have
4: to, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd have to say, you look, let's, let's, to have say a cooling off,
3: let's have a cooling-off period, and you just leave them alone for now, just think about it for a while, but don't just go rushing into all these places to try and see one. Yeah, you know, just and leave it,
4: them be. a lot of the accounts are on military defence land. mm mm-hmm. RAF Alcanbra is a fantastic example. That's probably
3: because these are off limits for most pedestrians, you know.
4: Yeah. Yeah? Over 30 years, people have seen um, them. If they've seen it that many times, it has so many names. Some people call it the hard stand monster. Some people call it the standing wolf. Other people call it the eight man figure. And it's different witnesses over a 30 year period that report seeing a tall, hairy thing with teeth that one man screamed in a man's face they all described it as being seen near the food bins it's, and it, it, yeah. yeah and every single one of them said it left it leapt over the fence on two legs and it made off to the north woods which is monk's wood so i had a look on the map and the next thing after the monk's wood is a massive nature reserve
3: all right so it's a perfect green corridor there isn't it yeah
4: and it's just a little nip in and a little nip m- out and me back in the 70s one of the men who was a serviceman tried what we would call a researcher now, went actually stayed on after his time there and went into every wood and looked to see if he could find footprints or hair or anything he could find. He couldn't get any backup. But he did get a glimpse of it again.
3: Hey, so That's the situation we're gonna to have to end soon in a minute, Deborah. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've had a great talk, but I just wanna know I wanted to ask you one more thing. Have you heard mm-hmm. of old stinker? Do you know about old Stinker? Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. the Barnston Drain on the the north side Hull. Yeah, of the UK. There's a whole host of werewolf accounts, and I've mapped them. Um, Even in places like Chapel Leaf Earth. Because on, on on the northeast coast. Lots a, and lots and lots. Between the wold and the shore, there is a line of encounters.
3: Because there was like a. It's really funny because it was seen, it's been seen several times. It was seen in the 1960s, and it was seen again yes. last year. And well, someone mm-hmm. who listens regularly to this programme. Actually went on a well they call it a werewolf I mean obviously as we've said earlier it's not necessarily the right word for it but they went on this werewolf hunt with about three hundred other people and they would like text they were like texting me uh, what was going on I mean they didn't have any weapons or anything they were just went out to try and see if they could yeah. see it uh, they, didn't, they didn't they didn't see it but um...
4: well they smell you coming if, mm. you know from a mile off. They're they're, they're kind of wild, you know? We smell of everything we touch as humans, down from coffee to petrol to everything else. And if only that, they'd hear you. They're not that stupid. Like most wild animals, they'd make sure they had a back door to get out. I've just been looking on the map, actually, and I can count 21 accounts that go from the Humber estuary all the way up to we're talking Durham at least and there's around about 31 of them so if anybody wants to look for them just put British Bigfoot map and it'll pop up um and you can look for your own town see what's around or you can just look you know wherever you're having an interest in looking um but yeah no there is I've, I've heard of that there's actual these two people that I know that are researching it seriously that are having a real good look into it because people are reported werewolf type creatures with an almost dog like snout a lot of them are on all fours the the, the tail that they speak of like your typical wolf um and i didn't used to take the reports i didn't want to but nobody else was taking them so i put them on the map but i don't put them on the map as a Bigfoot. i put them on the map with a werewolf looking icon so that you know i am not claiming that as a British Bigfoot. Some of the accounts will say it's a werewolf, but but as I said before, they won't mention, they'll say it had hands and feet and a human-like base, and it didn't have a tail, but the witness thinks it was a werewolf, so that's what they go on the map as.
3: So you mentioned, we want to bring up the subject of this map now, because um, the map is something, I mean, I've seen it, and it's quite an an amazing thing, and um, you've been working on this for some time. A long time, yeah, This this is basically a a database, isn't it, of all the Mm. different sightings. Uh, Some of them!
1: Yeah,
4: some of them will need to be taken off. But there was one point where I had so many people helping me that they would add accounts to the map. And, I mean, Adam will tell you this, himself and Catherine. So they would add them to the map. And these 460 accounts. So even if I check one of them a day, it still takes me a year. But it is something I do continuously in a rotation. I will go back to the beginning of the map. And I will check to see if it's a witness and I haven't been able to find it. You know, say it's been on a a forum or something. I will try and find them again. It's not something I don't just put them on there and leave them. And if I look at it now and I think, what were they thinking? Why did they put that on? I take it off. If I find out somebody's lied, I will put that on the map. I will say this person who gave this account has lied. And here are the reasons that they've lied. I've tried to be as honest as I can. So, not all of them on there are Bigfoot. If they say to me it was on two legs, it was upright, that's very important. It walked like a man, it had a human face, and it was hair covered, then I would put the Bigfoot icon.
3: Yeah. I mean, the actual, the actual you've got a Google Maps app here with all yeah. the icons on, and yeah. it's, it's literally, it covers, there are hundreds of them. I mean, there are
4: about 460
3: of
4: them. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. If it's an historical account, I put the wood mm-hmm. mm-hmm. If it's, um, I don't know, I put a big question mark because I don't know. People will say to you, there are sightings on that map that are definitely, definitely not a big quote. Well, I don't know because I wasn't stood next to the woman when she saw them, was I? <sighs> I take the account from the witness and what she tells me that she saw, that is the icon. We choose the icon between us. I say, what do you want to go with? And they say, I'd rather go with the werewolf one. And I say, that's cool. And that's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. People make reports and don't go on the map. They, I've got lots of reports where they said I don't want to go on, and I say, right, okay, cool. I've still got the data, so I can still look and see the routes and things like that. What I want to see if I can see a seasonal map, mm-hmm. you know, a seasonal pattern
3: or something Definitely like that. Yeah, I mean, be yeah
4: but there is somebody doing that. If they migrate, they maybe pit. they
3: migrate, you see. They
4: That's be. the thing. Mm. But they do seem to follow the river, so there must be a reason for that, mustn't there?
3: Yeah, maybe they, they yeah. spend. Maybe they spend winters in the south and something like that, all again go back. Some people think in the that.
0: Summer.
4: Yeah. Yeah, some people think they move from the south up as they follow the. I'm not sure which way from the north down as they follow the food kind of thing. It's There's the lots of other mountain. creatures do
3: that. That's right. Lots of other yeah. creatures do that. So
4: this yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, uh, do you have any other websites apart from that?
4: I just have the British Bigfoot Reports. Um, so people, what I do in I put on pe- any finds that people have any new witnesses that are prepared to come forward. I put all that information on there. Um there is a Facebook group. I try and spread myself as thin as I can so people can find me. Mm. Uh, YouTube, but I'm j- just Deborah Hatswell stick Deborah Hattswell in Google and I'm sure you'll find me. Then oh, yeah. I'll know where I am. I will,
3: not. yeah, and indeed if you go to the uh, link in the show notes, if you go to the show notes there'll be links to all these things there. You can look at the the, the brick And map. I'm
4: happy to answer any question, be it sceptical or not. I don't I don't mind answering the questions. Um, and I, I, I really don't mind I, I expect people to be sceptical they are going to come to me and say well actually I don't believe it because and then I can say well I get that I understand that but this is what we've found over the years have yeah. a look at it and see what you think you know that's all we ask
3: yeah that's, that's exactly true and that's that's fair enough so if you want to know more like I said go to the links you can approach Deborah. she's on Facebook she's on social media YouTube as well she has some videos Check those things out, and I hope you've enjoyed this. Because I found this very interesting. This is quite new information for me, Deborah, and I'm just getting (laughs) into it. But I must say, I've um, I find it absolutely enthralling. And when I go down to the woods, I never I I never see walking in the countryside quite the same again as I used to.
0: Exactly,
4: exactly. I'm always looking. I'm always looking around myself.
3: (laughs) Even when I'm taking the doggies down to you know the little doggies down the river, I look around in the woods. So I go past this wooded area, and I think, am I going to see some big? A pair of eyes staring day. out from a furry face, you know.
4: Oh, you do. Well, one day you do. Yeah. Well,
3: <laughs> thanks very much. Thanks, It's been great to talk to you. Uh, it thanks, for it on H- thanks for being on the Hapano Show on Hapano Radio. Oh, goodbye, Ben.
0: Bye-bye. Leftovers. Or... <laughs> the DMV. <Number> 97. Or... <laughs> House Cleaning. Or...